What makes me good? I think it's a combination of things. I do care about what happens in the public sphere. I care about it. I care about justice. That's an important element in what I write about. I care about fairness in society, things that are fair, a government that's fair. I care about openness in government. So those kind of things. And then in terms of the research, it's you got to be up for a fight. <laughs> you got to be up. You got to be up for uh, duking it out sometimes, especially with the kind of stuff that I do. This is Professional Confessionals. Joining us today is David McKay Wilson, Tax Watch investigative reporter, columnist, freelance journalist, and photographer. So how do you spend most of your time currently as a... I'm, I'm a columnist at journalnewslohud.com. We're mm-hmm. owned by Gannett. And uh, I'm a columnist there. It's investigative. Not so much my opinion, but with an edge, looking for things that aren't right in government, holding government accountable for what they do. Looking, about, looking at how it affects taxes, the tax system, the issues that people care about. Sure. Tell us about your professional journey. Take us back to Dave Wilson in high school. What did you want to do back then? I did not know what I wanted to do. I was a good student. I was an athlete. I knew I was going to college, but I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. Then my parents suggested that Gee, how would you like to be an exchange student? How would you like to go abroad for a year? I applied to the AFS program, American Field Service, and I ended up in Norway for a year at the uh, gymnas, lived with a family, and was a senior. I had two senior years in high school. What could be better? So, so you studied. You you so did. Studied, you did yeah. a senior year. I of did. High I did. A, and it was. It was. Yes. It was a very interesting year in Norway. I was uh, came from a small suburb in Connecticut, Republican town. The Vietnam War was going on. I didn't really know. I was really unaware of the world, and and I went to Norway. And man, the high school kids were so smart, so international, so. Involved in politics and government, and they and it was like it was like such a, a awakening for me about society and our responsibilities within society and caring about things. So, what kind of impact did that have when you came back home? Well, when I was there, it was very interesting. I just, I just recalled this uh, a couple of years ago. I was, I was in back in Norway for my sixty third birthday. And a friend of mine there had a scrapbook of things about me, including my first article that I published was written in Norwegian in a Norwegian newspaper about how I had uh, joined a protest movement there having to do with the language. I learned the dialect there and about feeling uh, discriminated against. And here was my first article written in Norwegian. And there it was published in the local newspaper. Which I had totally forgotten about. Did you know how to speak Norwegian before you went there? No, I didn't know a word of Norwegian, but was thrust into the school. We had a language camp for a couple of weeks and went to the school. And it was um, in Norwegian. Uh, I I learned Norwegian. I learned the dialect. 
Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a great language, doesn't have that many words. And it's a fun language. And my family that I live with, they all knew English. But after a couple months, they said, uh, you just speak Norwegian. Well, if you, if you ever want a word, we'll tell you the word. And I studied it and uh, I learned it. Fantastic. Wonderful immersion. It, so, so what happened when you got back? So I got back and I went to college. I went to Colby College up in Maine, great liberal arts school. And I was a sociology major. I was a social major and I was, um, I didn't quite know where it was uh, taking me. The other thing that was going on was that I was uh, quite a, a letter writer. I'd conducted a, a long distance relationship while I was in Norway with a fellow American student who was in Belgium. And we had, a, this, this was writing letters back to just these letters. I was writing back and forth to her, writing back and forth to my parents. I was just writing just everything that was going on. It was all so new and exciting. And then when I was at Colby, continuing this long distance penman, you know, this long distance relationship by mail, writing. So you, there was a growing love, it sounds for writing. like. For writing. For writing, yes. Writing was, uh, wasn't thinking of it as a career, but it was something that was very much a part of my life. Then I dropped out of school. I dropped out of school and didn't know what I was doing. My, uh, my, pen, my pen pal, we were going to go back to Europe together. Then she didn't come with me. I went by myself. Brought my journal with me. Was writing about all what was happening inside, outside. And it was part of my life there. I still didn't know what I was going to do. I came back. We reconciled. I moved in with her. That didn't work out. I ended. I had a bike accident. I ended up in the hospital. Various things happened. I was at the bottom of my pit. I didn't know what to do. You didn't know what to do at twenty-two. At twenty-two, I, yeah, I was. Uh, I was twenty-one. I was 21, and I'd been to college for a year and a half. I'd been to Norway for a year. I was a smart guy. I tried working construction. I was horrible at construction. I, I got fired from two jobs in construction because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't measure long enough. I couldn't. It was. So it sounds like you didn't go back to college right away, but you, you engaged in Various jobs? I very well, and then I ended up working in a nursing home. Uh, I was at the bottom of my pit. Oh, okay, I work in a nursing home. I got a job as a nurse's aide. I like that. I said, okay. Then I moved home and I worked in the emergency room in a hospital in Hartford, inner city. And there I said, you know what? Hey, this is good. I'm feeling good about it. I'm going to go back to college. I'm going back to college to study nursing. I'm going to be a nurse. And at the same time, I'd also tried to freelance an article for a local weekly, but I'd failed because I didn't know how to do it. I tried, but because I'd always, I thought that maybe, eh, you know, that that was a possible thing, but. So you thought your writing was pretty good. Yes. Yes. I, I was a good writer I li and I like, and I liked writing. I enjoyed it. There was something in. So I, I, went back, I went back to school. I was in a nursing program. There were 166 women in the class and five men. I was in the nursing. It was a five-year program at Northeastern. But when I went back, oh, I had to get involved in the, 
college community, what did I do? I joined the school newspaper. I, as something that, oh, I could do that. You know, why don't I, I wanted to, I always wanted to check out this uh, newspapering or what that was like with this writing. So I enjoyed it. So did you shift gears and? So after I was in nursing for a year and a half, I had various, I had a co-op. I worked in a alcohol and drug detox center for six months. I worked with visiting nurses, but the nursing was, it was going to take too long. I was old. And meanwhile, the, the, I was getting involved in the school newspaper and writing about controversial things on campus. My stuff was getting on the front page of the student newspaper. And I was pumped. <laughs> that was exciting to me. I enjoyed it. And I went through this wrenching decision and I said, you know what? I'm switching. I'm dumping nursing. I'm going into journalism. I'm going into journalism. And... Went into journalism, graduated in a year and a half, I guess it was, and I started freelancing while I was in journalism. I started writing professionally. That was 1977 for the Boston Phoenix. I was in college, and I was um, freelancing profiles of people, find people in the community, important people, interesting people. Were there any figures at that time, other journalists, Woodward and Bernstein or others that may have inspired you to go take the path that you did? Well, certainly uh, Watergate was very much uh, in my, you know, it was part of my upbringing. In fact, between my freshman and sophomore years at Colby, I had a house painting business. Uh, in the summer, I was painting. house. I called my uh, business Watergate painters specializing in White House cover-ups. That was on my sign. It's so clever. Watergate painters. And it was in a Republican town. Did you do well? I did okay. I had my houses. I, you know, through my parents and word of mouth, but I, yeah, I painted houses. Watergate painters. That was good. Yeah. So I I was inspired by, it was in that era Mm -hmm. and the paper that I, in Boston, it was a Boston Phoenix, an alternative weekly. Though during during the seventies and eighties, those papers were you could really uh, go for it. You could use more language than you could in a daily newspaper. It was you could you could be you could write it more, and you could take more of a point of view. And that's why I, that's where I started, Boston Phoenix, writing these profiles. And in fact, there was one profile that I wrote. This is very important of this uh, writer, May Sarton, who was a poet, novelist, memoirist, and who was, turns out, one of my grandmother's favorite writers. And she came to Boston, and I did a uh, profile of her, had this incredible interview with her, and then and then I, that led to a, uh, a profile in the Boston Globe Sunday magazine that came out on the day of my graduation. And that's what, it, I was going to be a freelance journalist. You were on your way. It was, sounds like yeah, right there. I was, right I, was, there. I was on my way. I was gonna, you know, and I was gonna, I was, I was gonna be the freelance journalist. That's how. That's why. That's how I was gonna make my living. It was very ambitious, but I'd been successful. But I quickly learned that I wasn't really experienced enough to make enough of a living at that. I had a couple assignments fall through, and I'm like, eh, I need a job. But that was back in the day when there were a lot of journalism jobs, and uh, I got a job on a uh, weekly Cambridge, Massachusetts, Cambridge Chronicle, 
covering City Hall in Cambridge, Massachusetts, 1978. And it was just a fabulous first job. There was rent control debates. There was Harvard expansion, MIT expansion. They were drilling under the city to expand the red line up to Porter Square and into Somerville. There, it, was, it, was, it was a fabulous time. And writing about Cambridge government was very interesting because uh, the public officials there were, they were open to journalism. They were open to journalism. And in fact, so interesting, in, in Cambridge, covering the city council, you were in the uh, arena with the uh, council. You were in the middle. There was uh, up uh, in front, there was the dais where the mayor was. The council was on two sides. And the journalists were right in the middle, sitting there in the middle of the whole fray. Like theater in the round or something? Yeah, there we were. <laughs> and who was there but me and the Harvard Crimson editor at the time was covering Cambridge City Hall, Bill McKibben. The uh, environmentalist who was a writer, became a writer for The New Yorker for many years and is now a leader in the climate change movement. And Bill was covering uh, Cambridge City Hall with me. And then there was somebody from the um, Boston Herald who ended up going to The New York Times and I knew her there. And uh, anyways, that was my uh, introduction Mm -hmm. to journalism. So would you say that 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 was a key time in your career that lifted up your your skill or was um, defining? Well, I had to learn. I didn't know how government worked. <laughs> there, you're thrust into this, okay, you're covering a government. Well, what does a government do? I don't, you know, you don't really know. I didn't, I was, tw- you know, 23 years, I'd, I, I'd taken government, but there you are trying to understand rent regulation and housing policy and trying to understand development and zoning and all these issues that are very important in public affairs. And you're just there and, and you're writing about it. So you have to, it has to be correct. Mm-hmm. And you, you want it to be engaging and interesting to read. You want to make a point. It's just on the, you know, it's just on the fly learning your first job in journalism is, and some days you're just like, whoa. And back then, we also did the uh, paste-up of the newspaper. It's a weekly newspaper. On Wednesdays, we'd get in the car at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning and drive 45 minutes to the uh, shop where uh, the, they, the typesetting machine would spit out the columns and we'd put glue on them. And, and put them on the uh, flats and using the X-Acto knife to cut it and pasting it up. And it was a time crunch. Had to do it by two o'clock or something. We were working like crazy. And that was one day. That was one day. That was one day of our work a week. I'm sure many of the younger listeners are amazed at what it took then to, to produce the paper compared to today where those things are effortless. Oh, it's just, and our copy, I had an electric typewriter and we worked on the copy and the editor would edit. And to get the copy, we were in a satellite office. There was a, a taxi cab driver who would come and take the copy and drive it to the uh, type shop. It wasn't going over the phone lines. It wasn't, uh, you weren't hitting send. No, you were calling the taxi. And the taxi cab came and took it to where it had to be typeset. There were very exciting times. The pay was very low. 
but I could live on it. I was living with, uh, we were living in a house in Cambridge with uh, five other people and we all belonged to the food co-op and cooked dinners for each other every night. It was a pretty cool time. So it sounds to me that you pursued, some people pursue careers in order to make money. Others pursue careers for personal satisfaction or because it fulfills them in some way or they're fascinated with the subject or the activities that are involved. And it sounds like for you it was the latter, where it was the love of writing the kind of stuff you were and being involved in covering the things that you were that really lit your fire and made it very satisfying for you. Well, yes, and and being involved in it. When you're a journalist and writing about a government, covering a government, you're a part of that process. You're in, you're a, you're a part of that process, and what you write can influence the process. You're showing the you're telling the community what happened and how you decide to write that, and what approach, what angle you take, and it's all about the angle. And I tend to go for the more controversial stories where there's some friction, where there's some flashpoint, and I enjoy being in that area, in that tension. Isn't uh, the press sometimes referred to as the fourth branch of government or something similar to that? Yeah, or the fourth estate. Fourth estate. The fourth estate, yes. They, they, the press does have a very important role to play in the public sphere. It's part of the public sphere. And the press is outside of the, not controlled by the government. It's not controlled by the church. And it's independent, hopefully. And so you're able to analyze what's going on in the public sphere and perhaps uh, let the public know a few things that the government doesn't want you to know. And those, of course, are always the good stories. How does that feel when you break a story that no one knows about of potential to change people's outlooks and knowledge base and opens their eyes to something going on that really shouldn't be? And bringing it to light, it must be incredibly satisfying. It is. It's very satisfying. And it's satisfying if you see that the government responds in a positive way to what, what I have discovered. Sometimes it's in a negative way. And of course, I've had those experiences and you can tick off uh, government officials. That happens. But it's, it's a good feeling to know that you can have an impact, that you can have some impact within the public sphere. So because you're an investigative reporter, you dig into things that are happening that they don't want known. And in revealing these things, you do have quite an impact in terms of changing whether it's policy or someone being dismissed or kind of folks getting ousted because of the wrongdoings that they might be engaged in. That has happened. Mm-hmm. That has happened. It's, uh, it's amazing how, how it can happen. I get a lot of people, I've, I've been here in uh, Westchester, Putnam County, the Hudson Valley. I've been, I came here in 86. So that's 33 years ago. So the other thing that's been so, I've been so blessed with in my career is that I've been in the same community writing here for so long. And there've been so many stories uh, that I've told here and that people know me and they come to me. 
with information, you know, who want to spill the beans to me about something and say, look, you know, this is an important public policy issue. It really needs to be exposed Mm -hmm. because the exposure can really help change things. It really can. It's a that's what journalism can do. Yeah, it sounds like there aren't many professions that have the potential to affect positive ch- or negative change, I suppose, as journalism have a real effect. People can be in with ad- in advocacy groups on certain issues, environmental uh, advocacy for poor people. There's advocate. You know, you can you can be an advocate. You can be a lobbyist. You can be a politician. You can work for government. Those, I mean, there are different ways that you can become involved in the um, public sphere. Journalism is another way to be involved in the public sphere, but be working for a private company. It's interesting. You're, you're, you're working for a private company, but you're, you're involved. You're, you have a certain status within the public sphere. You add to the discussion. And it sounds like a profession you need to be on your toes much of the time to do the job. In the job of the journalist, there's, there's a, a couple different parts of it. One of the part is, okay, you're a writer. Okay, you're writing. But that's really, the journalist is far more than the writer. Because the journalist has to, if they're any good, find the story first. You have to find the story. It's got to come to you. Or you find it, somebody comes to you, and then you have to sell it to your editor. You have an audience of one, really. To begin with, you're in sales, but you have to sell them on your idea. Hey, this is a good idea. Okay. So that's that's stage one. You got to sell them on the idea. Then you have to get verifiable information, truthful information. You have to find, you have to, if you have an idea, well, this is what I think is happening, but... You need to have documentation, interviews. So that's the second part of it, is the research part of it. So you're a social researcher. Use some of my sociology there. (laughs) So what would you say then makes you a good fit for this career? What are the attributes that one might think of themselves and say, all right, I might be a good fit for that? And is there still a career to be had? Oh, there's still a career to be had in journalism. There's far fewer jobs than there were in the past. But there are jobs, and there and the need is bigger than ever because there are fewer journalists. But there's jobs. There's jobs. If you want to write and you want to get involved in it, there are jobs out there. It's just not as many as there used to be. What makes me good at it? I think it's a combination of things. One is that I'm, I, am, I do care about what happens in the public sphere. I care about it. I care about justice. That's an important element in what I write about. I care about fairness in society and things that are fair and a government that's fair. I care about openness in government. So those kind of things. And then in terms of the research, it's you got to be up for a fight. (laughs) You got to be up. You got to be up for a duking it out sometimes, especially with the kind of stuff that I do, where it's it's a form of combat in a way. You're ruffling feathers often. Yeah. And you're finding out things that they don't want to tell you. And you have to fight for the information uh, through the freedom of information law. And you're going up against, you have to have a, you know, a certain willingness to take on sometimes powerful forces what kind of obstacles have you had to overcome? 
Well, I was twice fired in journalism, so I was uh, early in my career. I did ha- I did go through a tough uh, patch <laughs> back uh, early in my career after I was in Cambridge. Then I went to Waterbury, the Waterbury Republican and American, and I was that was my, I was daily newspaper. I after Cambridge, I'd actually um, did a fellowship in economics at Brandeis, and then thought, oh, that's gonna Okay, that'll vault me into the daily newspaper world. And I got a job at the Waterbury Republican and American. And I was covering the towns of Woodbury and Bethlehem in an office over the flower shop in downtown Woodbury. And there I was. It was a guild newspaper, union paper. And I was there on my probationary period. And there I was over the flower shop covering the town of Woodbury, which was a very well-heeled suburb of Waterbury. And... A friend of the publishers had had a few drinks at the Waterbury Club, and he ran over a girl and killed her. Uh, and it was a hit-and-run uh, accident, and they figured it out three days later. They arrested him, and the dad came to me, and and the guy had gotten off, gotten off scot-free on this, and he came to me and wanted to know if I could help him get some justice to tell the story of his daughter who was killed by this guy who happened to be a friend of the publishers. Okay? So I put together the story. I showed how the judge had been hoodwinked. I actually I actually had an interview with the judge, and I showed him the pictures that he hadn't seen of the where the girl's head had hit the windshield and how this guy claimed he didn't know what he hit, and it was a hit and run. It was a... Well, uh... While this was all going on, I was in my probationary period, and I, I actually didn't make it out of my probationary period because I cared too much about the big story. And they published the story two weeks after I was gone. So I got, I got fired from that job, and then I went to this uh, weekly in New Haven, The Advocate, alternative paper, back to my roots, writing this uh, hard-hitting investigative stuff. And then at one point, uh, they fired the entire editorial staff including me, after I'd been there a year and a half. I, anyways, it was, it was not pretty. And there I was. I'd been fired from two straight jobs in this career that I loved. And I'm like, come on. But I didn't, I didn't give up, actually. And I actually started freelancing. And I set up, a, I had a freelance business with the Boston Globe, which had a um, New England section. So I was a Connecticut writer for the Globe, and then the New York Times had a Connecticut section, and I wrote for them from Connecticut. And I was writing for the Globe and the Times. And then somehow I got invited to the Christmas party for the, for the weekly newspaper to see everybody else. And I talked to the publishers, and then they were like, you know what, do you want to come back and work for us? <laughs> <laughs> he said, we've been seeing your stuff like in the times in the globe and i'm like yeah well <laughs> so i went back which erased the second firing which was good so i only so i actually only had one firing not two and and then wait, I wait, wait how did it erase the second firing? <laughs> because the people who fired me hired me back okay that erased it. <laughs> In my mind. Okay, all right. But as you, long as we've but got you that did straight. get fired at least the first time for the right reasons. You were yes. doing your job. I was doing my job. 
I was doing my job. Exactly. So, and whether I was the right fit for the Waterbury Republican is, that's debatable. But it was a daily newspaper and I was learning how to write in a daily newspaper. And I was having a ball doing it. What surprised you most about this chosen career? Well, I, th- I think what surprised me is um, how varied it's been and I, how I've, because I also had a period where I left the daily newspaper world and how I broadened it. That there's just so much, so many different things that I could do. I didn't realize that there was, it was so broad in terms of journalism, what, what was available. And there's still lots that I haven't done in journalism. But being on the staff, covering the State House, covering City Hall, writing about politics, writing about education, writing about transportation. And then I quit the newspaper and I freelanced for five years. And there was another period where I freelanced. So it's, there's, there's just a, there's a lot to it. There's, I guess that it, would, that it could be as rich as it became. You sound very fulfilled what keeps you fulfilled and eager to continue? I feel when, when people, I, I get a lot of people coming up to me saying, geez, you know, I'm so glad you're still there. They're coming to me. Like I got a call two days ago from somebody in the public sphere and said, you know what, Dave, something is wrong here. I really like to tell you about it because I really think it would, it really needs the, who came to me. And so it feels like I'm really doing a public service in a way and people are coming to me and I'm able to do it. You can really feel the need. I mean, the people show you the need for what you do. And especially as you say, you've been here for so long that you're an established institution that people can come to, to help right wrongs. They do. They could, they come to me and ask me to do this stuff that, that, that keeps me going. It also pays my mortgage. I'm, I've been able to make a living at it. I haven't gotten rich, but I have a middle-class existence. I own a house. I got two cars, and I got a hot tub. <laughs> and it sounds like you, you look forward to your days as you do this job, as opposed to some jobs where people just drag themselves out of bed, got to pay the mortgage, and they, you know get themselves into work, but they're not, it's not a satisfying type of activity that they're engaged in. And you seem to really have a passion for what you do. You know, you talk about it. I see how it lights, you light up. It's obvious. Well, it's, it's a, um, Hey, I'm an, I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I have a platform to write to communicate with people. The daily newspaper, even though they're in decline, it's still, an incredible institution in a community and it commands respect. And to have that platform is an amazing place to be, to have the stuff published. I'm, we're doing, we're going into more video now. So I, so this is a whole new area where I write the scripts for the video and do the stand up. So it's a bit of a performance. That's been a whole growth area for me to do that. So it, it's exciting. It's, it's almost another field, like a TV reporter. Right, exactly. Although, right, it's doing the two-minute things like a TV reporter, but then I've got the investigation, the 3,000-word investigative piece that I've written. Right, and you're doing actual investigations, unlike some TV reporters who stand up and read scripts and 
do, or do. just reporting it. Yeah, it's 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 in there are investigative TV reporters, yes. um, the same way that there's investigative um, newspaper reporters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's satisfying work because hey, you know, I'm a writer. I'm getting published. I'm I'm a photographer. I'm doing photography, which I love. I'm I'm you know I'm not like the, we have a staff of professional photographers, but I I do okay. I guess I consider myself a professional photographer. I'm getting published. I'm getting paid for it. If you were just starting out today, though, you'd probably take a different path than you did, don't you think? I don't know. But I probably, yeah, I don't know if I would be working for a weekly newspaper. I don't know what I would be doing. But I probably, it would probably be more into video. And But I, I don't know. I mean, is an area of today's tech that, attracts you or you think that might have been you know there's blogging and some bloggers actually become quite famous and popular with their blogs there's podcasting podcasting right uh, you know and, and the video work as you say but there's so many other platforms it seems outlets but how my difficulty with the writing profession today is it seems to be so fragmented how do you get any traction yeah, it, 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 I think it's more difficult, especially with the demise of the newspaper and the uh, or whatever you want to call it these days. The, certainly the print, new, the print is on, continuing on the decline and uh, the online, the online is there. It's the growth area in newspapering and media. So, but the, I, the younger generation is not, I don't think as involved in the news as, as they were perhaps when I was of their age in the seventies and the eighties. Proudest moments, biggest disappointments. Well, you know, I had a moment last year that, that, that really uh, knocked, really knocked me out. And that was uh, when I was writing about this uh, cell tower that the uh, MTA uh, put up in Terrytown. It turned out next to a playground for low-income kids, uh, 30, 30 feet from the uh, climbing apparatus. And this was a story that a friend of mine who lives over there told me, oh, my God, my view is ruined by the uh, cell tower going up. And I went to look at it, and lo and behold, I said, I know your view's messed up, but you know what? They put the cell tower up next to the playground for the low-income kids, and within the, you know, next to the low-income housing. And so I wrote this story and exposed the um, problems with putting the cell tower and the racism of putting the uh, cell tower next to the low-income housing. Nobody cared about the poor people. And I was able to, through my investigation, the public officials got behind what I was talking about, They called for it to be taken down, including the uh, state Senate majority leader, Andrew Stewart-Cousins. It was in her district. And then I held a uh, town hall with the village in Terrytown. She came. She was on my panel. Another assemblyman was on the panel. And there was a whole community movement that grew up around this. And within 37 days, the MTA announced they were going to take the tower down. Wow. So that to me was, <laughs> you know, that was a uh, an amazing uh, thing for it to happen like 
just like that. And I wrote an, a number of, uh, there was a part of it where I realized that I learned that, well, they're putting up the cell tower supposedly for this um, emergency network that they needed to put up. But then turned out they're also going to rent it out to the uh, private wireless carriers and the private wireless carriers couldn't have put up the tower next to the low-income housing. So there was a lot of things that came out of my investigation and the MTA really had to, and they pretty quickly, and they took it down, they took it down, they took down the cell tower. What a great example of why your profession is so important. Had it not been for you right now, there'd there'd be cell towers there. It would be, it would be there. No, yeah, because the Radiating the kids and and the, the, the housing. Yeah, and 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 the the village had not protested. The, the MTA could could do whatever they wanted, but they were the village knew about it, but they didn't they didn't care because it was you know if it was next to some rich people's house, then of course they would have been up in arms about it. But this was next to the uh, projects, and they didn't care. They really didn't. The fact that it was next to the playground, I have to say that was a high point. Uh, there was a couple of bills in the state legislature last year, came directly out of my uh, stories, my investigations of the uh, property tax system in New York and uh, inequities that I'd found in the property tax system about the taxation of state land and how Westchester County was getting the short end of the stick. One of those bills was passed by the state Senate this year, didn't make it through the assembly. So... That was, it, it was partway there. And there was a number of bills. There was another bill there about pro- parkland preservation that that one passed the assembly, but not the Senate. And that was directly out of my investigation. Every, every year there seems like there's, uh, and those, that, that, was, uh, that was this year. So um, every year that seems, I got a couple things in the works right now that I'm very excited about that are just kind of starting. And okay. So it's, it continues to, Keep me going. What what an exciting profession. It sounds to me stimulating, new stuff all the time. I, you've got to learn about things that you weren't familiar with before in order to report accurately and in, with in, you know, pass on information that people are lacking. Sounds wonderful. Well, you know, you think about it and uh, the thing one of the things I like about it is that you're really uh, in the front row for what's going on in the world. You're in the front row. You're digging in. You go to things. Okay, you meet the governor. You meet the, you're meet with the people and the state officials, the local officials. You're, you're in this environment. And it's, and it's a nice community. It's a nice world to, to uh, be around. And you're part of it. Is there any part of it that really sucks? Not really. No, of, of course, I'd always want to make more money. But and if I was in the private sector and some public relations office somewhere, I could make more money if I wanted to do that. If I'd wanted to do that earlier in my career, that was certainly open to me, I guess. I never pursued it, but. Well, is there anything that we, you would have done differently in hindsight? If I'd, maybe if I'd gone to an Ivy League college, maybe I could have <laughs> gotten a job on the New York Times. I almost had a job on the Boston Globe. I'm very close to getting a job on the Boston Globe. But the woman who was my editor in Cambridge, she got the job, not me. 
And she, and she was my reference for the job. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, oh yeah. That, 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 <laughs> that, that, was, that, that, that was a punch in the gut when she got the job and I did it, and she was my reference for the job. Crazy. But, no, I, I, I've, had a, I've had a fabulous career. And, uh, and there was a time period um, for five years, 2007 to 2012, where I had, a, I did a different thing in journalism. I had a freelance business with colleges and universities around the country. And I wrote for alumni magazines, mostly. And what I did for them was write profiles of people. And these alumni magazines are beautiful magazines. And the idea with the alumni magazine is community building through journalism. And by telling the stories of the alumni, and their values that are become expressed through their lives and how the college helped launch them. But the profiles for the college, it was, it was using journalism to build communities. And that was, that was the purpose of the articles, uh, to write these beautiful profiles of people um, about their lives and how they got to where they were going. I did that. I had a great business and... Uh, my stuff has been in college magazines, 130 colleges around the country. And then back then, I was also writing on uh, education policy for the Harvard School of Education. They had a couple of pol- uh, publications. And Teachers College, I was writing on some policy there. So that was a whole different area. And I was uh, freelancing that and pitching stories about I was just finding people everywhere. And pitching these stories to colleges all over the country. And though that was very exciting times to have my own business and writing these profiles and getting the assignments and, you know, pitching stories. And What made you put that down? The newspaper invited me back to be a columnist. That was my dream job. That was the job whenever I, because I came to the uh, Westchester paper in 1986. And back then we uh, had had these annual evaluations. And uh, you'd have to, you know, how'd you do this year? Oh, of course, I, you know, you have to tout yourself. Oh, a fabulous year, best year ever, so many stories, the whole thing. And they'd, they'd always have to say, oh, and what would, your, what would you like, you know, what's your future? And I'd always put columnists down. You know, that's what I always wanted to do. But in 2007, newspapers were going down the tubes. They put me back at Yonkers City Hall. I'd already done that earlier in my career. I didn't want to do it. They'd take me off the education beat. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to die on the vine here. I'm going to, I had this idea for my freelance business and I did it. And um, so I used my journalism in a different way. I used it as a, you know, it was a more upbeat kind of, uh, and at the same time, uh, I also had a, uh, a nonprofit uh, organization that I formed that was a bike advocacy group. And I was right, and I was the executive director of the bike advocacy group, and we were promoting. Uh, we held uh, Westchester bike summits, and I was doing a lot of writing to advocacy. But this was real advocacy writing, and I was so I was putting my writing skills to use in the bike advocacy world. And then I had my uh, freelance writing for the um, colleges. And then I was writing also for the New York Times when they still had the Westchester section. Before that went under 2009, 
that was a whole different kind of uh, aspect where I, I was using my journalism in all sorts of different ways. Uh, so you've had a very varied career, really, in terms of all the different avenues that you've taken with your... Yes, yes. I was at one time, I did consider working for the government. And uh, in fact, I was once offered a job to work in the office of Attorney General Elliot Spitzer when, when he got, uh, I was going to be in his press office and uh, had the offer of the job. I was living in Tuckahoe, I was going to go downtown every day. And I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just, I, I just, I, it wasn't, it wasn't who I was. It was like a, it was like a total safe bet. It was like, it was like the safety thing. And it wasn't, I wasn't out, I wasn't out there, you know, pushing the envelope, which you do in journalism mm. as a journalist. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I realized, you know what? I don't want to be part of the government. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fight the government. <laughs> That's a better place. You know, I want, to, I want to be a critic of the government. That's more what I'm good at. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to pursue a career in journalism? I would say write. Write, work for your, work for your school paper, see if you like it. You need some clips. Freelance, there's freelance opportunities out there. Try it out. See if you can do it. See if you like it. You don't have to make a huge commitment to doing it. Some go to journalism school and get an undergraduate journalism degree, which I did, which ended up being good for me. It launched me, got me my first job, got me out there. I had experience. Some people go to graduate school. Others just go straight from you know, work for their school newspaper or something. So it, there's, there's all sorts of different avenues, but I think it's a, um, it's, it's a just right. And, and also be involved in what's going on. Care about what's, care about the world. Because to be a good journalist, you have to care about what's going on in the world. And if you care about what's going on in the world, journalism gets you, is a way for you to, be part of it. Be part of caring about the world and caring about what's going on. You become involved. It's a way to become involved in policy, in politics. You're not a politician, but you're interacting. You're commenting on it. You're involved in it. So if you care about these things, it's, it's a way to get out of the sidelines. Yeah, exactly. Get in, get in, get into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be part of it. Mm-hmm. I think of your profession and you in particular as, you know, changing the world one story at a time. That's my idea of you and what you do. You're in this constant, unrelenting uh, march to change things as you encounter them. And I, I can't imagine a more fulfilling way to spend a life. Yeah, it's it's uh, and it's not you're not always changing something. It no. happens. It happens. Uh, but it is, you're, you're, whether small ways, large ways. Exactly. You're, you're pointing out and I tend to find where there's problems. That's more interesting. That's news. Now, when I was writing for the colleges, you were, it was a different approach. That was more of the, uh, inspirational upbeat kind of a thing. Whereas this is more showing what's wrong in society, pointing out problems, looking at where the tensions are, 
and also finding things that are wrong and may be illegal. That happens. It hurts people in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Without you shedding light, people in your profession, these things would go unaddressed. They would, they would go through. I mean, right here in uh, Cold Spring, you remember when they wanted to put Roger Rails' name on the side of the senior center at the time when Roger Rails was uh, under attack for his uh, maltreatment of women and he'd engineered this deal where he was going to get his name on the side of the senior center and he was going to be the general, he and his wife were going to be the general's contractors of a public project. And I was able to get the document to show how bad of a deal it was. And that deal didn't happen. Your story stopped it in its tracks. It did. It stopped it. It stopped it in its tracks. And that was not easy getting that document. And it, and it came out the morning of the vote. And, and that was going through. That was going through. And his name would be on the side of that senior center today. If not for Dave Wilson. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you, and yeah. you, you inspired outcry, public outcry. That was all part of the unmantling of that, right? Yes, yes. And when I started writing about it early that summer, people really, people were not really willing to talk. They were afraid because he was, he was relentless. And he was, the newspaper at the time was very mean-spirited. They were afraid to speak out because they knew what it would, what the response would be. But- I was able to get some trust from some people. A few people spoke out and I was, you know, was able to get the thing because that final document didn't come out of the blue, but because I'd been writing. So, I mean, when you come down to it, investigative reporting is writing married with detective work in effect. Oh, it is. Oh, it's definitely detective work. You need to be good at both. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You need to, you need to know what you need to get and you need to know how to get it. And then you also need uh, doing things, uh, some stuff on the computer with the data. I've been able to learn how to do some stuff with databases and to be able to understand certain trends and look at things and analyze the data. And um, yeah, oh, it's, it's definitely detective work. You come into it with an idea. I've got a big project now. I'm working on about the property tax system. And so I've, I've got an idea. I'm doing a comparative thing. I've got the raw data now. Okay, there's there's definitely something there, but now comes the the painstaking work of being able to say something that's not just anecdotal, that's systemic. And when it's systemic, then you have a chance to really create some change. If you're able to show, and that's what I'm hoping this thing about the property tax system will be able to show a real systemic problem where certain people are subsidizing others and the unfairness in the property tax system is really um, detailed in a way that no one's ever seen before. Is there anything that you've always wanted to do or achieve that you haven't yet? Well, I've always thought about writing a memoir about journalism. So that's kind of sitting there and... um, I've thought about that, but I haven't really gotten the discipline to do it yet. But I've thought about I've thought about that. I've thought about that. So my sister published a book last year, so that was like, oh, geez, you know, she's. 
<laughs> but she's a journalist. She's an historian. She's an historian and a journalist because actually her her book was a compilation of her history columns for a monthly paper in West Hartford. She's a town historian in West Hartford, and she wrote the story of West Hartford through her columns. So anyway, so that's that's still hanging out there. Well, I think you're the right guy to do it. I, I you know I think journalism profession would benefit from a book with. Uh, the idealism and the passion that you have for it. I think um, you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, the problem is that uh, to do it takes a huge amount of discipline. And it means writing when I'm off, when I'm not at my job. And the way that I've been able to survive in my career for all these years is to have a balance in my life between the writing and the not writing. And that way I've not burned out on it. And you experience stuff to write about. <laughs> yes. Because if you're always writing, when do you get to experience well, the world? When, when do you get to uh, find ways to feed your soul and re-energize and take care of yourself? And that's by having a balance in your life between you know, a uh, very uh, cerebral intellectualism of writing. Um, I just can't do it. I, I, need, I need a break from it. I'd rather not write all weekend after writing all week. So, but I, I respect people that have done it and I'm in awe of people who have been able to write a book while they're working at a newspaper or whatever. But I, 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 need, I need my downtime. Yeah, it sounds like it would be Quite a sacrifice. Yeah, it is, and it's 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 a it's a huge it's a huge hill to climb. Plus, there's no money in it, and um, if I'm going to do extra writing, and I still have a freelance business, I want to be paid for it. And that's been my thing with books: is that as far as I, you know, unless you have a bestseller, it's not a way to really make money. You could; it's a possibility you could make, but it's not a. I had two kids to put through college on a journalist's salary. So, you know, I needed to make money. Makes sense. We don't live in an altruistic world. <laughs> we <laughs> <laughs> I need to make I need to make some money. So, my free, my extra writing was money that I, was writing that I got paid for. A blessing. Your presence here has been a blessing. Oh, yes. <laughs> it, really a privilege to, to have this conversation. Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. To hear more and subscribe, visit our website, professionalconfessionals.com. You can find Professional Confessionals on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.